Well, hello everyone. Uh, if it's your first time joining one of our online services, welcome. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be here. And if you're a regular attender at these, welcome back. I'm glad, of course, that you are here as well. To all of you, uh, I'm so glad to invite you into my home and I'm, I'm glad that you've uh, allowed us to come to, into yours in this way. And I pray that, that today's service has been and, and it will be a blessing to you, an encouragement to you and your faith and your walk with Jesus. Of course, right now we're in the middle of this uh, global pandemic, right? And the subsequent quarantine that uh, has resulted. All around the globe, uh, executive orders of social distancing and shelter in place are in effect. We, we wonder like, you know, <laughs> when will it end? How much more can we really take? Um, I think it's safe to say that most of us are getting just a little bit stir crazy and maybe a lot a bit stir crazy. You know, I think for us as Christians during this time, it helps for us to realize that we are not alone in it. And I, and I don't mean just in the cliche sense like misery loves company. Maybe yeah, there's probably some truth to that. But instead, I'm referring to the fact that the, the, the founder of our faith, the savior of the world, Jesus himself, he lived out a self-quarantine. By that, I'm referring to the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by his enemy, the devil. During those 40 days, Jesus experienced a most extreme form of social distancing because during that time he encountered no other human beings. And he also had a pretty extreme food supply problem as well, but by choice, he was fasting. He wasn't in, taking in any food or drink. All of this took place in a remote area of Palestine uh, known as the uh, Wadi Kelt, uh, scholars suggest to us. It's a, it's a long path that extends from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's in the center of what's known as the Judean wilderness. The path runs along a, a deep valley with steep walls, and to this day, as you can kind of see, it it's uh, appears to be a pretty desolate place. And in the, off in the distance in, into one of those walls, you can see the, the St. George's Monastery, uh, which has been in operation for 1,400, 1,500 years. This quarantine that Jesus was going to experience, it was ordered not by uh, some government official, but by his own father. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, Luke uses the phrase led by the Spirit, but Mark uh, puts it a little bit differently. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, as he recounts the story of Jesus' temptation, uh, he says it this way, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Mark uses a, a Greek word that's, uh, that is ekbalo. It's an action word. Ek means out and balo means to cast, drive, or throw. And so it means to drive out, to cast out, to throw out. It can literally or figuratively mean uh, to eject. Uh, sometimes even with, with violence. Not always, but sometimes it can even mean to eject with violence. And so different English translations of Mark 1.12 uh, kind of represent it a different way, different phrases are used as they translate. Some say um, he, that God forced him out. Uh, our translation, the ESV said, drove him out. Other, uh, others say made him go, pushed him, impelled him. It's clear that the Spirit of God, according to the way Mark represent, represents it, drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And, and when we think about that phrase, it, it, it reminds us that, you know what? God may at times in our lives take us to places that we would never choose to go. He might lead us to places 
that we wouldn't like sign up for and say, yep, I'd love to go there. I'd love to experience that. Sometimes those places can be, can be unpleasant. They can be tragic. They can be painful. That's sometimes part of our experience, but he is there with us. He leads us to that place, but he doesn't abandon us. Even though at times we feel alone, we feel abandoned, we feel weak and overwhelmed, even maybe despondent. And sometimes he, again, he gently leads us toward his will for our lives, but at times it requires a little bit more of exertion on us because I, I think most of us don't choose uh, to go through painful, difficult experiences on our own. It takes a little bit more urging from God to get us there. And so either way, whether it's uh, this God gently leading us toward his will or at times having to push us a little bit harder toward his will, remember that he is there with us and we can be controlled by the Spirit. We can be controlled by the Spirit during this time of quarantine and shelter in place, not only so that we can experience his comfort, and that's great and that's wonderful, so that we can get through it, but also not just survival, but that God could actually work in us through his spirit to change us, that we could thrive. Now, I understand that, again, that, that, that what we're experiencing is not easy, but God can change our character, can deepen our faith, can grow us up in our relationship with himself so that at the end of it, we can be stronger spiritually, even though it wouldn't have been a place that necessarily we would have wanted to walk into. So what was Jesus doing during this time of quarantine that he had? Well, maybe we could think of it as like a, uh, a 40-day intensive with the Trinity in the wilderness. For much of the time, it's likely that Jesus was, was praying. He was getting ready for the three and a half year uh, ministry that lie ahead of him. And of course, probably even beginning to think about uh, his, ultimately his own death. In that wilderness, uh, toward the end of those 40 days, Satan came to tempt Jesus and he was tempting him in, in hopes that he could disqualify him as the savior of the world. Because if Jesus would sin, then of course he wouldn't be the perfect savior and he couldn't be the savior then because he would, would have been imperfect. So with that in mind, let's, let's reread verse 1 of Luke 4 and then pick up verses 2 and 3 right after that. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible and it says this, Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would be our teacher today. We pray that we would not just learn a little bit more information about this event in Jesus' life, but that you would take this event that occurred many years ago and, and make it uh, so relevant to what we're walking through today. And that you, Lord, would, by the truth of your word and by what we learn from you today, that you would change us. We want to grow more and more, Lord, like you. We want to become more and more like your son. And so we pray, God, we open our, our minds, we open our hearts, we open our very wills for you, Lord, uh, to speak to us and that we, having heard what you say to us, would walk in obedience to it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I believe that just like Jesus survived his 40-day quarantine and he came out victorious, we too can emerge from our wilderness time stronger. So, so I'd invite us to take note of our enemy strategy, uh, to learn from Jesus, and uh, to walk in that same kind of spiritual victory that he obtained. It's really going to come down to a question of, of presence and purpose. A question of invitation and challenge. Whose presence are we really going to chase after? Whose purpose are we going to follow? Whose invitation are we going to accept? Whose challenge are we going to embrace? That's the, that's the base level, critical, fundamental question. Is it, are we going to allow this wilderness time to be something where we embrace more deeply God's challenge on our life and his invitation to become more like him? Or are we going to yield instead to a, another, to an alternative that's not ultimately in our best interest, but at times feels like the thing that we want to do, especially when we're in a time of struggle? I want to remind you that God, at the time that Jesus was going through his quarantine, and today too, that he was and he is completely in charge. He knew during this time that the evil one would be attacking his son and, and seeking to get him to sin. Now, some believe that Jesus, Satan really maybe didn't even think that Jesus uh, could sin, but that he was merely going through the motions. Uh, it's a little bit foolish to me when I think about, about it that way, because, you know, Satan, uh, he, he was the person who, who thought he could take over heaven and throw Jesus off the throne. It's the same Satan who will seek to win the very last battle before his eventual destiny of defeat. So, so in desperation, I, I, I kind of think that Satan believed that he may be able to get Jesus to cave. And if, J, and if Jesus did cave, if Jesus did sin, then he would no longer be the perfect sacrifice. And therefore, God's plan for the redemption of humanity would be ruined. God allowed Satan to do just this, to bring this temptation into the life of his son. In the same way, God is, 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 does not cause evil. He's not the cause of evil. But it does happen. Evil happens underneath his supervision. Did he allow this pandemic? Yes. I don't believe, uh, my theology doesn't lead me to believe that God caused this pandemic. But has he allowed it? Yes. And there are things that fall out from the pandemic, pandemic that you could say he's allowing as well, like the, the global economic meltdown and other things like it. But, but I do believe that in the midst of this, in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of the pandemic, in the mix, midst of all of the negative things that are occurring, that he is and he will use it to advance his kingdom that he will use it for his glory. He will use it in ways that maybe we would have never imagined. Sometimes it, it, it requires us coming to this place of pain and struggle and tragedy to understand at a, at a more fundamental level what's important and that ultimately God is the most important. He wants to use this to advance his rule in our hearts like never before. God may not cause the pain, cause the pandemics, and cause the problems, but I do believe he certainly uses them for his glory in ways, again, that we may never imagine. For Jesus, that pain lasted for 40 days. What's the timeline for the coronavirus? I, we have no idea. We don't know. 
There's talk of, you know, things beginning to reopen. And then there's talk of as things begin to reopen, that there will be another spike. There's, there's talk of what might happen when the flu season hits in the fall and winter combined with uh, coronavirus still maybe being around. And, and so we, we don't know. We don't know the timeline of this. What will be the worst of this pandemic? Have we already seen the worst? Who knows? But more importantly, are you ready for what God wants to teach you during this pain? The timeline of it, that I, I can't, you know, I can do everything in, in my power. I can practice, again, uh, all of the, and embrace all of the guidelines of CDC and that my government officials ask me to do. I can wear the mask and wash my hands and, and be very careful with social distancing and all of that. But ultimately, I recognize that I'm not in control of how intense this might become and when it will end. But I am in control of allowing it to be something that would change my life more for the glory of God. Can you take the faith step to believe that God is in control of this situation? Are you letting him control you during this time? Jesus realized, I believe, that his father was in complete control, even as he faced and resisted the relentless temptations of the devil. I'd like for us to look at those temptations. The first one that I, and I believe these temptations that, that Satan brought to Jesus are pretty common to all of us. We've ex, we experienced them. And so uh, I'm going to talk about level one, level two, and level three temptations that, that Satan brings to Jesus. And the level one is, is an appeal to our cravings. The level one temptation is simply an appeal to our cravings. He, uh, Satan told Jesus, tell this stone to become bread. Of course, Jesus was on a 40-day fast, and Satan attacked him toward the end of that fast. Jesus was hungry, and, G and, and Satan said to him, you know what? Turn these stones into some delicious breadsticks. I don't know if you're, you like breadsticks. I know many of us have embraced a little bit of a lower-carb diet and all of that kind of stuff, but man, uh, whether it's a, a nice warm piece of pita bread with, with some hummus or a breadstick and some marinara sauce or ranch or whatever it might be. I mean, like that's some good stuff, right? Jesus was on this 40 day fast. And I'm sure that when uh, Satan asked him to turn those stones into bread, it was a, it was a, a temptation. It was a craving. It was an appeal to a craving that Jesus would have because he was hungry. Cravings represent those physical desires and longings like food, drink, and drugs, and sex, and whatever. There's always a strong temptation to deal with the emotional and psychological strain of the wilderness by medicating, by diverting, by just dealing with it through some simple, some, something simple, something, something pleasurable, something that will be a little bit of an escape and especially doing it to an excess. Satan appeals to all of us at this level. He appeals to me at this level. I bet he appeals to you at this level. There are cravings that all of us have to resist. We have to resist that temptation to give in to those cravings all the time because here's the thing. Those cravings, at the end of it, they never deliver or provide on what we uh, think they might, <laughs> what we hope they might. They never really deliver on, they never really provide for us that which we had hoped for from them. So the text continues in verse five. Luke writes, so he took, up, uh, he took him up 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. If the level one temptation was an appeal to our cravings, the level two temptation was to test our devotion. Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship him. Satan was offering him the, the rule of the, fallen, of the fallen world right then, right there. And, and it's interesting because that's exactly how the Bible represents Satan. Certainly God is ultimately in control, but Satan is, is called in Scripture as the ruler or prince of the power of the air. He's referred to as the God of this age. And, and I, I don't know about you, but we all want control, especially now. We want to leave our homes. We don't like being told maybe by the government that we, that we must shelter in place, that we must stay at home, or we gotta stay six feet away from others. We gotta wear a mask. We want to control our financial situation. We want to control the way that our kids are at responding at home. Our desire for control can often cause us to veer from our, an allegiance to the one whom ultimately has it, and that is our Lord. When we, when we desire control over allegiance to him, then at times, instead of living by faith and devotion to him, our focus is, is diverted and, and we pursue something other than God. We pursue something other than his kingdom. We pursue something other than his righteousness. And so that need for, need for control can actually even test our devotion toward this, again, simple, straightforward commitment that he is the one that we are worshiping, that he is the one that we are submitting to. And it, it's not just about, when in, in thinking about worship, it's not just about uh, I sing a song to him or I give a little bit of money to him or I attend an online service. It's not about that. Scripture says that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. And so when we're consumed uh, with control and when we yield to that temptation that, that Satan is the, the same one that like Satan is offering to Jesus, we want, when we want to be in control of the situation, it can lead us away from that simple devotion of offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice to the Lord, which again is our spiritual act of worship. Continuing on, Luke writes, so he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Bible uh, scholars tell us that the southwest corner of the temple was, was called the pinnacle of the temple. This is probably where Satan tempted Jesus to jump from. It's kind of a frighteningly, frighteningly high point. It created somewhat of like, some people suggest a, a 450 foot drop down to the valley below. So you could kind of like essentially think of it as something like a, a 40 to 45 story building, being on the top of it and being, being dared to jump. That's what, that's what Satan was kind of like chanting to Jesus. Jump, 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 jump. 
He was reminding Jesus that all the crowds in the temple would see him jump and, and, and see the angels rush to save him from being crushed and, and actually believe that he was the Messiah. I think what can happen too in, in temptation that Satan brings to us, not only does he just appeal to those base-like cravings that we have, not only does he test our devotion to the Lord and our simple, straightforward worship of him, but also that level three temptation is he begins to twist our theology, to twist our beliefs, to confuse them, to make them seem somewhat wrong or, or nonsensical. And that's what he's tempting Jesus with here. He's wanting, he's wanting Jesus to, to put uh, this, 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 these verses that he quotes, he's wanting Jesus to put them to the test. In fact, to put his, his Lord to the test. And so I think there, there are times when, when we're going through struggle, when we're going through crisis, when we're going through you know, uh, times of pain and tragedy, that Satan comes along and, it be, and, and through, through our flesh and, and through the use of his demonic forces, he just begins to kind of whisper into our ear little things that create doubt. Is it this, do I really believe this? Is God really trustworthy? Is God really in control? And he begins to try to twist our theology so that we begin to depart from it and embrace something other than what scripture tells us is true. And which of these three temptations are the hardest for you to resist, especially in this time of, of national kind of lockdown? Not exactly, but you know what I mean by that. Is it your cravings yielding to those? Is it the temptation to, you know, um, to have your devotion tested and, and, and not stay true? Or is it that twisting of your beliefs so you really begin you know, to doubt and, and, and abandon that which is true? Like Jesus, we can resist the urge to give in to these temptations by remembering that which is true. To each of those temptations, Jesus spoke to his enemy with the word, as truth and said this. When he was tempted with his cravings to turn stones into bread, Jesus said in verse four, man must not live on bread alone. When, he was, when his devotion was tested by Satan, that he would give him all of the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship him, Jesus said in verse eight, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when his beliefs were, you know, his, he, uh, when Satan tried to twist the beliefs, belief system and so that Jesus would put his father to the test, Jesus said in verse 12, do not test the Lord your God. So in each of those temptations, whether it was the cravings, the devotion, or the beliefs, Jesus met the temptation with the truth of the word. In addition to those three temptations, which are, which are all very real. I, I would suggest to you that there's another one that kind of maybe gets missed a little bit, and maybe it's a level four temptation. And that level four temptation is a question of identity. In two of the three temptations that we just considered, Satan begins by saying to Jesus, if you are the son of God. How is, how is Satan attacking your identity during this pandemic? 
being, being stuck at home which, with much of the rest of the world, it can grate on our thoughts and our emotions, and Satan can begin to whisper in our ears lies to try to, try to confuse our fundamental core identity as one of God's children. Satan wants to confuse all of us with that same lie of identity. Who we are is rooted in whose we are, not what we do. Who we are is rooted in whose we are. Maybe, maybe Satan is attacking you by questioning your ability to provide for and, and protect your family during this time of crisis. Maybe you've lost your job and, or, or your income is way reduced as a result of the pandemic and, and you're wrestling with questions of, of identity as a result of that. Maybe you've been struggling with your family, with your, with your spouse, with your kids, with your siblings, with your parents. And again, it, it's causing you to really question who you are. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew whose he was. And he knew that he was deeply loved. In the chapter before the wilderness temptation, Luke tells us that when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying this, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was loved and accepted by the Father before he had endured any of Satan's temptations, before he had done any of his earthly miracles or powerful teaching, any of his ministerial stuff. He was loved and accepted because he was his son. Philippians Chapter 3, verse uh, 9 tells us that we need to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Think about those two words, in him. We are in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are found in him, so that when God looks at us, he sees his son. He doesn't see our sin and our failure and the wreck a mess of our life, but instead he sees the righteousness of Jesus, the victorious one, the one who faced down his enemy and won. And so as we consider that, two, kinda, two questions kind of naturally arise. The first is this, if you know you are in Christ Jesus, if you have received Jesus, can you fully believe that you are genuinely accepted by and loved by God the Father as much as he loves his very own son? If you are in Christ Jesus, then I believe the Father looks at you and he says, just like he said to his own son, you are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The second question is this, do you know that you are in him? Have you realized that God loves you, but that your sin separates you from him? Do you understand that that, that separation, it can never be addressed by anything that you would do in your own strength, that any of us could do. There's no way for any of us to traverse the gap that exists between us and God in our own effort. It's just impossible. So God did it. And so that leads us to answer that question of, can we believe that, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin and that he rose from the dead three days later? Are you, are you ready today to put your faith in Jesus 
to forgive you of who you are and everything you've done and to give you eternal life right now. That life, the abundant life and eternal life in Jesus, it can and it will start today and last forever. And so just before we sign off today, I want to invite you to pray along with me to answer that question of identity. Are you in him today? It would give God no greater joy than to be able to say to each of us that are watching this today, you are my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. If he's leading you to receive Jesus by faith today, then I invite you to pray along with me the words that are going to be on your screen. Father God, as I find myself in this wilderness, I turn to you and I believe. I recognize that a new identity can only come in and through Jesus. So I receive by faith that which you so graciously provide, forgiveness and life rooted in the sacrifice of your son. Help me, Lord, to live obediently in this new life and identity by the power of your Holy Spirit and for your glory alone. Amen. To all of you who have joined us in today's service, again, I want to genuinely thank you for doing that. If we can be of any help to you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you've prayed the prayer along with me today and you'd like to let us know so that we could celebrate with you, then please reach out to us. It's really simple. Go to cbcjoy.org contact and just drop us a quick note and let us know how we can be of assistance to you as you grow in that relationship with Jesus, especially if it's one that just became, that just uh, started today. To all of you, again, so glad that you're, you've been here with us. I'm going to dismiss us with a word of prayer. And so if you bow your heads with me at that time, at this time, that'd be great. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for what we've learned as we walk through this dramatic event that happened between your son and, um, and, and Satan himself. And again, God, as we prayed at the beginning, hopefully it wasn't informational, but transformational. And so as we, as we dismiss from this place today, God, help us, each of us who are here, to more fully walk in that identity as one of your children. And that no matter what would be whispered into our ear or shouted in our face, that is contrary to an identity in Christ Jesus, that we, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would be able to resist that uh, calling of any other identity other than the one that we have in Jesus and in him alone. We pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care.